Hello, hello, my name is Jordan and I'm your host and today we have another special guest. We really just have special guests back to back to back to back to back and we are absolutely loving it. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, uh, I'm happy to be on here. Um, I've had you on my podcast twice, but I've never been on yours. So I think this is this is like far too long that we haven't done this. Oh yeah, for sure. And if anybody doesn't know, he is the host of Is Not What It Looks Like, aka Inwill. And it's absolutely amazing. I love listening to the podcast, especially when he just brought on like a million different co hosts. And it's chaotic, but it's lovely. (laughs) 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 If I'm being honest. Yeah. Yeah. All of our, so all of our producers, or most, uh, well, all of our producers, like, you know, work to build episodes, but most, if not all of them, are always in. Our episodes, so it's like controlled chaos, but it's very fun. Yes, we love it. I love controlled chaos because I feel like <laughs> that's that's me every day, honestly. Yes. <laughs> controlled chaos. So, just getting into what we are going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about the lovely, lovely, lovely topic of fat phobia. Um, oh, and yeah. we're yep, we're talking a little bit about like the history of fat phobia and just all about that. Um, We're going to be talking about specifically the scientific origin, the cultural origin, as well as the medical origin. And with that, we're just going to be talking about how traumatic it it is overall. So yeah. (laughs) It is very, very, very kind of like messed up. And it it also has like a lot of, um, it just has a lot of roots in kind of everything. Um, and a lot of people aren't really aware of how deeply rooted it is into our society. And so a lot of the things that we talk about, um, they seem very, they're very kind of off-putting for people because we, we don't talk about how deeply embedded, um, this bias is in our society. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. (laughs) You know, getting past the sad stuff. I'm just excited. (laughs) Excited to really, like, just, like, crumble this topic down. Yes. And if you guys could not tell, Chris is definitely a dear friend of mine. So it's going to be more, a little chaotic. (laughs) But that's okay. (laughs) We love See what happens. (laughs) All right. So, of course, as our listeners know, we will be starting off with a Rose Thorn Bud segment. And for our new listeners, we will be saying our Rose, which is a highlight success, small win, or something positive that happened today or within the last week. Our Thorn is a challenge you experienced or something you've used more support with. And lastly, our Bud is some new ideas that have blossomed or something that you're looking forward to knowing more about or experiencing. So, Chris, take it away. (laughs) Um, A rose, to be honest, is definitely talking about this topic. Um, I don't, we don't talk about it enough on our podcast because we cover a bunch of topics in itself. Um, So I'm really excited to have like a full episode dedicated to this. Um, Yeah, I think that I'm just super excited for that. A thorn is definitely like dealing with notion. Notion has been like a struggle for me recently, and I don't know why. It's they're just out to get me. Um, <laughs> please don't at me. Like, don't cancel my subscription. <laughs> Notion, don't do that. Um, I need you. And then a bud is so like I haven't even or we haven't even announced this like on our social medias yet, but I guess we'll drop it here. Um, <laughs> we're going to be hosting um, 
like a college prep week uh, on our social media and like just talking about like how to apply um, just, you know, for the people who are going to be applying next year because college, the college app process is crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, but yeah, so we're going to be talking about all, all that app. Awesome. We love, love, love to see it. And I absolutely cannot wait. And so just to talk a little bit about my rose thorn bud as well, um, a rose, which is going to be something that's really weird to be happy about, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Recently, I have been prescribed a Bilify, aka a bipolar medication for the yes. first time. Yes! Oh, yeah! So it's not that weird. Okay. <laughs> it's not, it's definitely not weird. Okay. Awesome. I'm so glad. Um, it's very, very nice to finally be prescribed, like, actual, like, going through the medication process instead of just being prescribed, like, 6,000 medications at once in a mental health hospital because, uh, that happened and we're gonna talk about that in a later episode because um, that's there's a lot of issues. interesting yes so yeah that is my rose what, what were you gonna say uh no i just need to hear that story after that's 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 what it is okay okay bet 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 <laughs> so <laughs> a thorn um i've been feeling really sick unfortunately um due to the medication and you know oh those God. are just yeah exactly just common side effects and i'm really really cannot wait to get over them but and just you know thrive in general um and then a bud would most likely be all of the collaborations that we have with inwell as well as just like all of the other student organizations that we are collaborating with and partnering with and it's just going to be so amazing because as much stress has been caused there's also been <laughs> a lot of good ideas and good yes. <laughs> projects coming up so yeah that is our rose thorn bud and with that being said we can get right into the episode get to the main topic of fat phobia and if you guys don't know what fat phobia is which is very likely that you do know what it is but we're gonna go over it anyway fat phobia is basically the implicit and explicit bias of overweight individuals that's rooted in blame and morale failing so of course this first topic is going to be scientific side of fat phobia so chris the historian here is going to take it all away because you know he's so good at this <laughs> yeah so but okay hold on pause before i do this i do think it's worth mentioning that um i am a person that's in a bigger body um that's it like i just want to put that out there because i think it's a little more powerful when like the story comes from somebody who is in a bigger body mm -hmm. um and also you can just connect to them a little better but so basically, basically the tea of like diet culture is this white guy. Um, no need to name which him. It's not shocking. Um, <laughs> there was this British white guy, um, and in the eight, in during like the eighteen sixties, um, and he was kind of like the first person um, who actually wanted to lose weight and go on an experimental diet. And he tried to go to a bunch of different doctors and they all, you know, said, no, we're not going to do this because at that time dieting was experimental. It had no research behind it. Um, it was kind of like taboo um, during that time. But then, of course, he found another crazy white guy, um, <laughs> a white doctor to be specific. And he, that doctor helped, um, like agreed to help him with his experimental diet. So in 1964, um, 
this guy published like a whole pamphlet because that's what they did then versus posting on Twitter. Um, is basically he basically posted this pamphlet on how to diet and lose weight. It was super popular because it was it was a new thing. It was a new trend, um, and it sold out a bunch of different times across Britain. Um, and then it kind of moved into people, you know, using scales um, and people like you know seeing all these different like ads for this pamphlet pop up, and that's kind of when we shift out of the beginning. Um, or sorry, we shift out of the age where there was no morality or, or like research or science uh, that was tied to weight loss. Um, and then we move into this era, which is also the Victorian era for history nerds out there, um, where like plump and pale uh, and skinny people were seen as morally good and curvy people were dignified as like morally wrong um, or, you know, more of kind of like a gluttonous action to be overweight. And so that's obviously has a bunch of things wrong with it, but we're going to like press on because there's a whole lot of shit to go through. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, can you go into a little bit why the sort of uh, Victorian, I, feel, I think you said Victorian area? Yeah, how they saw plump bodies um, being more uh, healthy, being more nutri- nutritious. Well, I wouldn't say nutritious, yeah. but is that how you use that word? <laughs> well, I would say like, well, <laughs> I honestly have no idea. Okay, well. Um, yeah, so like before we changed our, before like we collectively changed our minds into seeing like fat people as morally bad, um, up until the late 1860s, people who were in bigger bodies were seen as healthy, um, more like wealthy and like well taken care of. Um, because they were able to have access to like good quality and nutrient dense foods, which were not common, <laughs> especially if you were poor. But like that's definitely not something that you had access to, um, especially in Britain. Now, when we just kind of like changed like our our mind, and well, you know, like we, when our society kind of changed our minds and started shaming bigger bodied individuals, um, we kind of like start start seeing the formation of the diet industry. Um, and one great example of this is kind of how we, well, really not we, but people actually started creating um, these laxative soaps that like quote unquote washed away fat. Um, and this is kind of like the beginning of people creating these uh, things that are like doctor supported um, to help people lose weight. So that's also when, you know, when we start seeing companies like start blowing up, um, so yeah, that's not the best thing ever. Laxative soaps, right? Because who thought yeah. of that? <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the. I remember there was I was watching a video about all these old inventions, and there was like a toothpaste full of mercury or something like that. And yeah, yeah that's kind of what it, this is reminding me of for some reason. <laughs> yes. Um. So, th- like now that you say that, this is uh, just to keep things in perspective. During, well, a little earlier, um, this, during this, when Madame Curie was figuring out the, like, radium and the properties of, like, radioactivity, um, people were putting radium in, like, soap and toothpaste and all this Mm -hmm. stuff, um, because it was supposed to be healthy, and it wasn't until, like, a long time later where we found out that it's actually toxic and, like, is, like, a carcinogen and kills people. Um, so just to put that in perspective, like, this is just that all over again. 
but with a laxative soap. Um, yeah, that's not great. I definitely can understand why, well, I, it's definitely not understanding. It's definitely mind-blowing how people are trying to take these sort of treatments and make it so they have an easy fix. And weight loss is never an easy fix. It's definitely something that takes time and effort. It's definitely something that is misunderstood to the point of where people made laxative soaps because that's really just mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah. So... The, the other thing, too, that sucks um, about this era, or not this era specifically, but, like, in the late 19, uh, 1860s, um, is we're, like, seeing this transition from um, people who are, or, you know, people who are, like, gaining rights. Um, like, in the mid-18, um, you know, the 1800s, people, especially women, were trying to gain independence. They were trying to get up like you know preserve their right to reproductive freedom getting the right to vote all this stuff it was like one of the greatest political times for women and also people of color but then we also see how you know the societal norm of the way that we view larger bodied folks especially women and people of color because those are typically people who are in larger bodies just because of their genetics um and also where they are and it's normal right you got to have genetic diversity um, and so we're starting to see this kind of like this great stride in gaining political rights, but we're also seeing a climate shift into shaming, um, people in those bodies, which are typically people of color and women, mm -hmm. um, which is rough. That's not a good look, but this is kind of like the time where we're shifting into a great, like scientific and medical bias, which is not great. Mm -hmm. This is also when like, well, not when, it's almost when, the, like, the BMI index comes out, too. Yeah, and I have so much to talk about the BMI index, honestly. <laughs> As somebody who often was considered very skinny, very thin uh, most of my life, and just seeing the BMI index and monitoring my BMI, which was something that I had a very unhealthy relationship with, honestly, because as I looked at the BMI results, it always said, you are overweight and you are obese. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, okay. So my younger self internalized that. And when I was nine, 10 years old, I was trying to diet, trying to figure out ways to lower my weight, taking like these pictures, you know, how um, body professionals like on Instagram have these mm -hmm. like straight shots and then back shots. And that is definitely not called straight shots. But, you know, I was taking those at such a young age and just because this BMI index told me so and it was yeah. definitely something that I resent to this day thankfully I've evolved but you can only imagine how many people still live by the BMI index to this day yeah and what sucks even worse is like the BMI index was never ever ever intended for medical use um, it was a statistical exercise for um, a mathematician that only used European people. So obviously it didn't count for varying nationalities mm -hmm. and ethnic groups, but it also doesn't take into account like a bunch of other factors like um, like sexual orientation, uh, race and ethnicity, bone density, all that stuff. Um, so like medically it actually doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I'm glad now that we're getting, we're getting into a, a, like a state um, of where physicians and uh, registered dietitians are starting to call out the bias and kind of like really just the like 
ineffectiveness of the BMI index, like to do its intended purpose. Um, but yeah, I, I'm like really excited to see that because it hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. um, it like we've been waiting for that to happen. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, we have. Um, definitely, definitely, just want to acknowledge how these systems have been created especially to leave out minorities, especially to leave out, you know, um, black peoples per se, Hispanic people, you know, other groups and minorities, because these were, they were built on just noticing the perspective of white people, acknowledging white people first, rather than minorities, which is just such a universal thing. It's like even past the BMI index, but you know, I could go on about that forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The other thing, too, is, like, on that topic of, like, white people acknowledging white people's perspective, <laughs> um, you know, during, during, or, hold on, I don't even remember, like, there's so much, I think, okay, yeah, so I think it's, like, during the 1950s, um, this is, that that's kind of the time where bariatric surgeries were coming out, um, and were kind of coined as, like, a life-saving option for mm-hmm. people who are in bigger bodies, um, and also, like, you have Weight Watchers, and you also had other groups which were a little less nice, like Gluttony's Anonymous, Fatty's Anonymous, um, Eater's Anonymous. Like, all of those um, kind of groups were coming out in the or the early um, and mid-1960s to basically capitalize off of the insecurities and um, discrimination that people of color and minorities were facing during that time. Um, and also not talking that a lot of these groups were run by white women. Um, that's not talking. Oh, and then, sorry. <laughs> There's, like, so much going on because, like, this is also the time where, like, Twiggy came out. So those of you have no idea who Twiggy is, um, Twiggy was, um, during this time, was I think was, like, either 15 or 16. Um, mm-hmm. She was an old British model who kind of, like, came on to like the modeling scene and she was super skinny um mm-hmm. like like very skinny compared to the average like bodied like british person so it kind of just made this new unattainable standard that nobody could strive for um because most people don't look like that right exactly definitely want to just prioritize how uh, you talked about how most people don't look like that, and especially when we don't know um, what that person is going through. You don't know if that would if that person was medically healthy. You don't know if they're unhealthy, but you focus on appearance and focus on how they look, and you're just like, oh yeah, I want that, and I don't want to consider other aspects such as mental health and other again medical histories that the person might have, for sure. Mm-hmm. And. The other thing, too, which is, like, what we're going to get into, like, more um, Mm -hmm. later, but, like, most most, um, people who are in larger bodies aren't inherently unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of those bias and environmental factors contributes to them being unhealthy and not them genetically itself. It's pretty much the same way um, where, like, a lot of BIPOC people um, often have, like, racial stress that comes from just existing in their own body Mm -hmm. um it's the same principle um it just comes from bias and discrimination that they experience absolutely and it really does come to a point of where even like doctors and medical professionals are upholding that standard of just like um just because somebody looks 
like they have a bigger body because that means they're inherently oh, are unhealthy. And even if you have like this underlying condition, um, and I'm speaking from just the videos that I've watched, I have, I'm not speaking from personal experience. Even if you have like this underlying serious um, condition, doctors will still look at you and be like, oh yeah, you must be unhealthy because you are in a bigger body. And that's definitely a problem which a lot of people face nowadays. Yeah, and what's so the other thing too to think about is that it wasn't until 1992 that the National Institute of Health actually concluded that most of those programs actually didn't work in itself, um, because like that and that it, it really just doesn't make sense when you think about it, um, especially from a psychological aspect. Um, when you think about kind of food and its kind of place in our homes, food has a really strong like cultural and family element mm -hmm. tied to it. And so when we demonize cultural foods, one of the things that tends to happen is kind of like you have shame on like your food and a part of your culture. And again, like for most people, food is a really important like part of their lives because mm -hmm. not only does it like bring them nourishment, but it's also kind of a bonding element. A lot of families um, like bond over cooking meals and there's also kind of the sense of passing down information to the next generation. And so that's, those are some of the things that we don't talk about um, when we look at um, kind of like the mental health aspect of this issue. Um, mm -hmm. And that's something that we miss <laughs> out on a lot, especially when we talk about this. Absolutely. And that's kind of where we dive into just like the cultural aspect, because within a lot of cultures, there are definitely that um, lovingness towards food, that bonding aspect of food, like Chris mentioned. And so, yeah, let's just get right into the cultural aspect and how diet culture sort of uh, impacts minorities as a whole. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> there's a lot of... Um... There's a lot of diet culture and um, kind of tied in on a cultural level. And one of the things that, you know, kind of really like pushed this into our society was the CDC. Um, so one of the things that the CDC did to kind of like tackle the obesity epidemic that was coined um, after the Washington Post like made um, an article that talked about how Americans were fatter than ever. Um, a lot of people started kind of like practicing correlation does apparently equal causation, um, which it doesn't. But a lot of people were associating the fact that people were getting heavier and heavier with the fact that people were kind of moving away from diets, um, right. especially in the late 1990s. Um, a lot of people started kind of like getting away from the fact that like diet or like getting away from diets because the uh, National Institute of Health uh, announced that diets actually don't work and most people gain the weight back plus more um, once they stop their diet. Um, and one of the things that the CDC did was uh, to create um, kind of like obesity maps that show in what parts of the United States had the highest concentration of those people who fell into the obese categories. And for a lot of people, at the CDC, they justified this um, by saying that the maps created a really good sense of how the epidemic, uh, and I'm using air quotes there for those of you who are listening because mm -hmm. it's complete crap, um, how that, that epidemic was spreading across the country. 
and how most people saw the fact that an increase in body weight was kind of like toxic or um, a disease. And so what really sucks about this, and this is kind of where we get into like the deep kind of root of racism in this as well, is the maps really showed that most people who lived in bigger bodies lived in uh, cities and in areas that had a lot of BIPOC folks. Um, or really, I should actually say just minorities in general. Um, and then people like drew this connection that most people, um, especially brown and black folks, were exposed to this obesity disease. Um, and that's kind of where this cultural aspect gets tied into. Um, and there's all that's where all that's also where you know a lot of uh, you know the initiatives to give um, you know people with low income um, you know like access to nutrient dense foods. I will say that is a positive part, but kind of demonizing um, like the BIPOC community with right. like the obesity disease is kind of like a really really bad negative and kind of like cancels out the positive. Right, and you guys all know. How that can play out with how racism is just so prevalent, <laughs> it's so prevalent in every single part, you know, there's, I'm going to get a little bit ranty here, but you know, what is a podcast if you don't get a little ranty? Um, you know, there's just so many things in this world that has been used to just weaponize, like, like weaponize just these certain subjects against minority communities and when i heard about or when chris told me about the obesity maps and how they were in low income in uh, low income areas i was like oh i already know where this is going <laughs> I know. it's I a repeat know. it's just a story on repeat <laughs> right <clears throat> and you can never blame somebody's race just depending on like you can't blame race and find that correlation between race and obesity it just doesn't make a lot of sense but you know the scientists in quotation marks the yes. scientists back there back then yeah. were just so so smart and i applaud and them yeah. <laughs> and if like the people want to like practice correlate correlation doesn't equal causation yeah. then let's focus on like how the fact that a lot of the weight stigma that gets placed on minorities is just another stigma that's on them and mm -hmm. so that's just more stress and stress has a very very bad impact um on our health when we have too much of it which mm -hmm. is what is seen as the like obese disease like that's complete crap um and when you also think about like obesity now a lot of people see like obesity as a very negative term very stigmatizing very insulting and so it's kind of I don't know, just ironic that that obesity disease typically gets attached to the BIPOC community, mm -hmm. um, which is just another thing to stigmatize Absolutely. everybody, all minorities in that community. Absolutely. Super fun. It's very fun. Very, very fun. <laughs> <laughs> as you guys can know, as you guys can tell, there's a lot of sarcasm just radiating right now. Uh -huh. <laughs> but um, yes, there is. Yeah, just going on about the little modern aspect. Uh, well, definitely not little at all. Um, the modern <laughs> aspect of it all. Um, you can definitely see so many jokes about obesity within the minority mm -hmm. communities. Like, for example, even though there's just like this, um, just light, fun atmosphere when talking about like, oh yeah, the black aunt with the really huge arms definitely know how to cook. Like, 
you we all know where that stems from and especially Uh considering like the history of it all um we don't think about how much these like memes and jokes just connect back to these sort of threads of um you know fat phobia and um the cultural aspect of it we as our own people uh within the black community we take this stigma we take fat phobia and instill it into our own like jokes and that's never Uh okay um we've internalized this sort of fat phobia and indirectly well i'm gonna say directly i don't know why i said indirectly um the direct racism that fat phobia has caused and it's just absolutely bamboozling to me yeah that and the other thing well the other thing too to kind of like talk about like i've talked a lot about kind of like where the cultural aspect of like diet culture came from um but i guess like i also kind of want to like explain how that's prevalent today Mm -hmm. um one of the things that really like genuinely pisses me off is how there's a lot of it's usually white people uh, (laughs) on TikTok that are like i'm not afraid of fat people i just think they're ugly um i i will say this probably about every like phobia um like homophobia or transphobia or or fat phobia it's not the fact that you're afraid of them it's the fact that you're afraid of not wanting to admit that you have a bias against them Mm -hmm. that's really where it comes from uh that's really where what it is oh absolutely um yeah but diet culture today looks like a lot of different things because remember that the diet culture industry is tied to the big pharmaceutical industry and also our government because also remember that the national institute of health and the cdc um have i guess you know in a way incentives um not literal incentives but you know um kind of like an incentive to add obesity as a quote-unquote disease because then you can prescribe medications um and again quote-unquote medications like weight loss and all these different diet plans like keto or like the atkins diet whatever Mm -hmm. um and this just gives more and more money to the diet culture or the diet industries and the big pharmaceutical industries up there um and so once again just remember that it's all a scheme for money um Mm -hmm. diets and diet industries don't care about your health um because if they really did they would actually and they would actually kind of quote um some of them like the weight science behind mm-hmm. uh how losing weight is genuinely and generally not good for your health like it really doesn't like do a whole lot um but for a lot of people it's fire and here comes a trigger warning by the way um it does spiral into eating disorders for a mm-hmm. lot of folks especially brown folks um because well actually sorry all like all minorities because it spirals downwards into the all of the like discrimination and um segregation and or oppression that we already face um in our systems um and so it's just like adding another thing onto the pile um like another piece of paper like in the flame um wait that was actually really cool i like how you said that is that like a common (laughs) phrase is that a common Uh, phrase no (laughs) oh i just made that up (laughs) I love how you said that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, like, really today, um, diet culture is everywhere. Um, you can kind of find it, like, with Gwyneth, like Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, I don't know if you heard about the crazy stuff that she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, like, vulgar, like, vulgar warning here. Um, like, Gwyneth Paltrow was trying to convince women that shoving a jade, like, a jaded egg up women's vaginas. Huh? Um, 
was like good for your vaginal health. Um, please look that up. I'm not making that up. That's genuinely crazy. Um, okay. It genuinely is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's a little, little weird. Um, and of course, you know, there's also people, um, or, you know, there's also like companies and stuff that like, you know, talk about like intuitive fasting. I think Gwyneth Boucher also did that. Um, but intuitive and fasting, those words actually don't mix because fasting is forced. Intuitive right. is natural. So that automatically doesn't make sense. Um, but intuitive eating, which I'll talk about in a second, kind of list is a completely different thing from all the other diets um, out there. Yeah, diet culture is like everywhere, um, especially yeah. on TikTok for some reason, <laughs> because there's always like the podcast idiots that like to to talk about how mo to talk about how like women in larger bodies or like women who have curves are like ugly, right. and I'm like they don't they don't want you, so why are you talking about exactly. them? Exactly. Um, they don't care about you. Like, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I I love well. I'm not even going to say love because I don't love, but um, <laughs> the fact that you talked about intuitive fasting is, is just like a very, um, what an eye roll for those of you who can't yes. see, I'm like definitely rolling. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a, it's such a sensitive spot, I meant to say, but, um, the fact that I personally have experienced so many, um, sort of ads about fasting and just mm -hmm. even my mother talked to me about it talked about fasting and how it drops the weight fast i personally struggle with that to this day um because i have been influenced by social media and because everybody talks about how amazing it is and that just proves how much <clears throat> how little um facts and scientific aspects are mentioned within social media are mentioned in casual conversation because everybody just promotes it like it's the best thing in the world so I'm trying to find the tweet that I posted the other day when I was thinking about this episode. Oh, yeah. So my tweet says, why is it that every time I open up Instagram, I see ads promoting diets to me? I think you're pitching it to the wrong person. I'm fat and I'm okay with it. Like, this is it, This is such a beautiful tweet. <laughs> but, like, why do I keep seeing, like, detoxes on Instagram? Right. Detoxes are complete crap. Like, that's why we have kidneys. Um <laughs> seriously um like how do you think people like in the early 1900s like survived when they were drinking a bunch of alcohol like do you genuinely think that they were like doing celery juice detoxes <laughs> just saying not my mother having a detox kit in her <laughs> in the kitchen right now i'm going at her so bad like not on purpose but like especially when we start talking about like the like the science behind stuff now so we definitely got way way off track here but <laughs> so we could definitely switch from the back. cultural <laughs> aspect to the medical side or yeah. the medical aspect of it all so if you want to talk a little bit about that yeah so what's nice about kind of tackling diet culture is that you just need to have like have taken intro bio that's it you just need to take intro bio um so a couple of things to kind of get off the page first number one morbid obesity Obesity over what? Like, what's the average for being chronically overweight? If everybody is different, everybody's DNA is different, everybody's cultural, environmental experiences are different, how is there a standard? How is there a standard if healthcare is supposed to be individual? Right. Because not everybody goes through the same thing. Not everybody 
has the same experiences and not everybody has the same access to nutritional food. So how can there be a standard? Right. The other thing, the second thing, is Weight Watchers. I hate Weight Watchers so much because it's complete crap. Like, they've rebranded themselves, like, all the time. Like, now there's, like, points. Um, At what point, at at one point, like, Weight Watchers, like, counted fruit as, like, uh, like points um, towards, like, your total because it had a bunch of sugar in it. And I was like, you're done. Um, (laughs) You're done. You're done. You're done. So, yes. But what's funny about, what's so funny about all of this, we can talk about, like, how diets suck as much as we want. But the National Institute of Health, that's recognized everywhere, denounced diets. Mm -hmm. The entire board came on a consensus that diets don't work and they're bad for your health. That's the end of the debate. Yes, that's the end. That's that's the end of the debate. There's nothing else. (laughs) But what's sad about that, what's sad about this is I can't say that. I can't just say that because there's a lot of distrust in doctors one because of the cdc thing that i listed earlier mm-hmm. and two there's a lot of racial racism and sexism in the medical industry that needs mm-hmm. to be addressed in a whole other episode oh, yes. but it also ties in here um because there's a lot of distrust especially for doctors who don't care about people's like really food and relationship with their bodies and a lot of doctors cause trigger warning here a lot of doctors cause eating disorders and people to feel uncomfortable and unhappy in their own skin um, and their own bodies. So that's a problem in itself, too. So I wish I could say that, like, the National Institute of Health said diets are bad. We're done. That, like, thanks for coming. Um, Like, thanks for listening to today's episode. (laughs) But I can't because that's something. Um, And also the diet mania. Um, It's like, 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 it's a whole, diets are a whole cultural thing now. Um, like diets are conversation starters. Like when you're talking to your family, like, oh yeah, I'm on this new juice cleanse. Right. It's like only celery and lemons. Um, like it's so great. Um, it's, it's a part of like our lives now to talk about how we're losing weight fast, how we're getting skinnier, um, how we're trying to like improve our skin through like our, our, our diets and like our thousand calorie diets, which mm-hmm. absolutely make no sense. Um, and also talking about how, like, like the BMI, like, we're always using, like, the BMI's legacy. Like, oh, yeah, you know, now I'm, like, um, I'm this weight, so, like, I'm underweight, I'm good. Um, and also how we associate, like, or glorify people losing weight. Absolutely. Like, you know, we say, like, oh, you look good because you lost X amount of pounds. Who gives a crap? That's, like, the most boring part about you is your weight. Who cares? That's, like, the most boring thing. Um, but it's... It's a whole cultural movement now, and it kind of stems from how the medical industry is deeply roped into diet culture, especially mm-hmm. for like the BMI index, because the BMI standards profit off of weight loss pills. Um, and a great example of this was like um, I don't remember how long ago it was, but when like the BMI um, standard shifted down. So a bunch of people who were in like the normal, and I'm using heavy air mm-hmm. quotes there, um, like <laughs> normal weight, um, like suddenly became like chronically obese. Um, like a that doesn't make sense. Like if you yeah. like you're into science, a that don't make sense whatsoever. But b it kind of like created this kind of like diet mania where people like immediately started like buying weight loss pills and supplements and shake weights and all this crap that you don't need. Um, just so they could lower their 
their like lower their weight again um so like kind of like the the end all for this like story here is diets are good in the short term in the short term but they are so not sustainable like anyway um (laughs) and on that note of like they're not sustainable um a lot of the studies that like are around fad diets have proven to like sustain weight loss for like a couple months maybe a year or two um but most studies actually don't go past um two years most studies don't i don't actually think there is a weight loss study that goes over like more than two years um so scientifically that doesn't make sense um but the other like stat to look at and this is kind of commonly used um against or commonly used um with the anti-diet community is that 95 percent of diets fail that's like the statistic right there boom if 95 percent of diets fail why are we starting like a bunch then mm-hmm. why are new diets coming <clears throat> out and again it's rooted in our society nor can we really expect diets to actually work when you're like switching from one diet to another diet to another diet to another diet like how is your body oh. going to adjust to that at all like your oh. body is built to make it so that you are healthy weight that you are being um in a safe bracket for your own like weight yeah and um definitely definitely just going from diet to diet to diet is going to confuse your body and it's going to cause effects that you're not even going to be expecting and that is just a general observation that's not like a scientific observation even though it's it should be but it should be be. but just a general observation do what's best to take care of your body don't try to change your diet that you have been eating regularly this whole time for your whole life and then suddenly you start changing what you eat and you start doing these diets and it's like how is your body going to adjust to that overall and how is it going to make like oh yeah it's just going to be like yeah so we're starting this new thing sounds cool i'm in (laughs) no that's that's not how it's going to (laughs) work yeah and you know the other thing too is like we can't treat weight as a behavior because it's not it's just a number and speaking speaking personally from someone who had a really horrible relationship with their body um, mm-hmm. and food and eating in general, um, just the way that we talk to ourselves mm-hmm. when we're in that state is atrocious. Um, and for most people, it takes therapy um, <laughs> and psychiatric mm-hmm. care. Like for me, I've been in therapy for a, a while now, um, and it takes a while. And I really empathize um with people who have eating disorders um or body dysmorphia those are real issues and they do require psychiatric care um or like or therapy basically just mental health support that's really what you need to reach Mm -hmm. out for um but we tend to think of you know losing weight as a oh it's for your health but for most people we can't handle that it's just it doesn't work it doesn't make sense and for a lot of us you know, losing a few pounds, oh, yeah, you know, you may, like, bring, like, weight off your joints or whatever crap doctors say, but (laughs) up here, like, up in our minds, we are demonizing ourselves. We're demonizing a part of us, and, yeah, weight, you know, it's a boring thing about us, but in today's culture, it is the only thing that matters about our health for some reason, and that is ingrained in us, and in a part of being anti-diet and a part of, like, accepting your own body for what it is and um finding health at whatever size you are 
is unlearning part of that. And I have a mm-hmm. bunch of resources to highlight. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, the first thing to, I would probably really want you to read this book is The Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison. She is amazing. But <laughs> um, but that root, that book, even though she, like the book talks about the roots of racism and sexism um, in the beliefs about our food and bodies. Um, to kind of like get you like hooked on that a little bit think about the way that like we talk about cultural foods being not healthy like mm-hmm. for example a lot of um, like a lot of Hispanic foods are fried um, and like oily and they're like heavy in carbohydrates because they are like flour is cheap um, a lot of those like 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 tortillas those are labeled as like carb heavy they're like calorie heavy that's why there's a lot of like the low carb tortillas um and i had to say that because like it's not an actual tortilla so i'm not even gonna like roll them up the roll the r it's it's crap they're so (laughs) no not they're they're a tortilla okay tortilla not dealing with that i'm not dealing with that um but like think about how annoying that is or how like a lot of other like a lot of other foods like beignets or like pies and things like that that are like pretty cultural like like our foods across multiple different cultures, mm-hmm. but they're all labeled as like fatty, fried, greasy, like heart cloggers, whatever crap. It's like, those are all very negative and stigmatizing words that are tied to mm-hmm. those foods and ultimately our cultures. And really that just uplifts the actual racism that is rooted <laughs> in fat phobia. You know, yes, we're circling uh, all around, all around. And I yeah. just want to go back to one thing that you did mention. Um, as much as we are internalizing that those sort of messages about our food and our culture, it's also just about the fact that we are internalizing all these messages about um, how horrible it is to be fat or like... Ugh, I hated saying that. I hated saying that so much. But it's so uh, bad, it really is. <laughs> but uh, we are internalizing it, especially within just normal conversations. Like it's so common within minority communities to just have your parent um, talk about how much you've gained weight, how much you've lost weight, and it's just like uh-huh. the most awful thing to experience because obviously if your parents saying it it obviously has to be true is what kind of goes through your mind then so you know that's where i had my own experience you know looking at the bmi just uh, that thing and uh listening to my mother talking about how i need to lose weight to the point of where i literally looked like a stick because i was fasting for 16 hours straight and i was oh my god yeah yeah i'm so sorry yeah i was fasting for 16 hours straight and i was trying not to eat as much as i could and i was trying to like snack for example, instead of having whole meals. And we don't really understand the big impact that really can cause on somebody's mental health. And I'm not claiming that I did have an eating disorder, but I'm still, you know, working through those sort of um, internalized thoughts that I had about my own body thinking, like just looking down at my stomach and be like, wow, that's really disgusting. And that of course is where the mental health aspect of it all comes into play. Yeah. Um, and just so, just to like really get into kind of, and I am like, for those listening, I am going to talk about like calories and numbers for a second. So if you're not with that, you're not at that like stage, skip a couple minutes. Um, when we're like comparing the energy needed by like different tissues and like organs in the body, like when you just think, okay, let's think about the three like most important things, kidneys, heart, brain. 
kidneys need around 400 calories a day the heart needs around 400 calories a day and the brain needs around 240 calories a day let's do some quick math here that's already 800 i'm stupid don't <laughs> ask me i don't that's know so much more. whatever don't know. that's over a thousand calories let's calm that okay <laughs> that's over a thousand calories right there mm-hmm. and most people try to stop at a thousand calories per day there's like the like the horrible 800 calorie diet or the 1200 1600 um but most most of our organs need a lot of calories we need calories to live like that's just how it works right. so but the people who are saying yeah go on like a 1600 you know calorie deficit that's a diet that's not how that works um but if you are like genuinely interested in improving your health instead of trying to restrict the foods that are deemed unhealthy add in foods that are a little more nutrient dense instead of taking stuff away right um but before you can even get to that the first thing that you have to do is unlearn diet culture and it mm-hmm. takes a while um one of the ways that i like to kind of describe this is like every social issue um like let's say like we're all on a like a like a belt that's like moving forward towards like this inevitable like horrible thing um whether that's like becoming like a person who internalized a lot of race racist values or sexist values or whatever like you're getting the point we're all kind of slowly moving towards that and it's our job to stand up and walk off the belt now we can't do that without recognizing all the things that are tied to racism and sexism and that includes fat phobia because fat phobia is inherently tied to sexism and racism. Mm-hmm. So if you're not acknowledging what you have learned from the diet cult from diet culture, you're just kind of like standing on the belt. Like you're standing on the belt, you're like, hey, I'm gonna start getting off it, but you're really not. Right. So a part of un- of being an anti-racist is also being anti-diet, because it is a huge part of racism also how we discriminate and look at the BIPOC community differently from a health standpoint. Absolutely. And another thing is to just uh, realize how much social media can also play into just fat phobia and upholding those standards for people. Um, As we were mentioning earlier, there's definitely just that comparison when we look at other people um, on social media and saying that you want that. And that even is just past weight, but we can talk about social media all day. Actually, we did talk about social media and the negatives. You just check that out. Check that episode out. You know, a quick plug. But (laughs) It is is a good episode. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and of course, we were just talking about all the things that you don't see. So really we have been talking about all the things that have been wrong with the uh, fat phobia culture and diet culture. Um, So what are some things that we do need to know about, you know, just weight loss in general? Yeah. So honestly, if you're trying to improve your health, you don't really want to focus on weight loss unless you have a genuine medical condition Mm -hmm. that actually requires you to lose weight for X reason and is supported by like research and it isn't your doctor or your physician being biased against you, you actually don't need to focus on weight loss as being a way to improve your health because weight in itself is actually a really small factor compared to your overall health. 
a lot of the bigger factors that actually impact your health much greater are like sleep patterns, uh, stress levels, and physical activity. Now, I'm not saying that you have to like be a marathon runner for physical activity, like just getting in like some activity a little bit every day. Um, you don't have to work out two hours a day. That's not that's not it. Um, unless you like that, but you don't you don't have to force yourself to do it. Yoga, going on walks, hiking, though that is enough if that's for you. Um, getting an adequate amount of sleep. We have normalized being burnt out and not getting enough sleep, mm-hmm. staying up too late. Um, like really listen to your body here. Try and get those eight to ten hours. You do need it. Like you really do. Like your body needs time to recover and rest. And your brain needs a lot of time to literally wash itself away. There's a whole process which I can't explain because it is way too complicated and I barely know what I'm talking about um, where our brain in in very 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 simplified terms cleans itself that process cannot happen and will be disrupted if we don't get adequate amount of sleep mm-hmm. and also diet patterns not being on a diet but actually getting the adequate amount of calories that you need in a day because we have glorified oh yeah I skipped my lunch like, um, no. <laughs> nobody cares about that like nobody cares about that because when you skip meals, what typically tends to happen after you get like in like in I don't know you just get like you're like you kind of want to like do somebody harm because you're that <laughs> like like you're that hungry. That's not a good thing. That means your body is in like flight or fight response and is going to kill somebody to to get food. That's so not a good thing, and that's also not a good thing for your mental health. Oh, and that's of course like the another one of the bigger factors is mental health. Okay. You're not taking care of your mental health. How do you really think your your physical health is going to react? Like it's not. Like, those are those are like connected. They're hand in hand. So if you're not taking care of your mental health and you're focusing only on like in, like lowering your weight, that's not going to happen. Like right. good luck. Not only are you not going to lose weight, but you're also going to destroy your health in itself. Absolutely. Um, mental health is everything. It really is. Which is hilarious because this is what this podcast is about. Preach. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> it's true. Confident people take care of their mental health and seek yes. mental health support. Thank you. Period. And that's the no end of the discussion. <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen the Kim Kardashian thing about like um like <laughs> the advice for women in business, I don't care what she has to say. Okay, I don't care how rich she is, whatever. Listen to me. You got to take care of your mental health. Period. That's it. Period. That's it. That's it. And y'all are doing the first step. Y'all are doing the first step by listening to this podcast. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, but actually, they kind of are because you have to change. You know what? Pause. One of the things (laughs) that I kind of resonate with, like what Kim said. Is you have to surround yourself with people. Uh, that's where it stops. Not people that work. <laughs> people that protect their mental health. Yes. Because when you protect your mental health, you're also protecting your physical. And part of this is like the community aspect. So technically you kind of are doing something. Um, nice. But yeah, that's the only <laughs> thing I resonate with. <laughs> you have to surround yourself with people and that's it. Just that's people. That's all I resonate with. <laughs> And we also just have to keep in mind that if you don't take care of your mental health, you're also not taking care of the people that are around you. Because if you are personally struggling, then there's going to be a whole bunch of stress and there's you're not going to be able to physically just 
um, be around your friends, be around your family, and be your whole self to where they can make sure that you are okay and that they can be treated well by you, and just so many other environmental factors that goes into it. But yeah, I think that's kind of it. There's not really just protect your mental health. That's really what matters. Absolutely, and I definitely, definitely second that for sure. Um, so just closing out this episode it's been a wonderful episode thank you chris for coming on you have been amazing uh providing your amazing personality as well as the facts behind everything so yeah uh you can find us on our website at foreverbloompod.org and you can find us on instagram tiktok and facebook all at foreverblooming.org as well as twitter at foreverbloom.org and uh, Chris, I almost called you Michael. Why did you, I almost call you Michael? <laughs> Chris, can you tell us where you can find Inwell at? Yes. Um, okay, so you can pretty much, you can find your Instagram. That's kind of like, look at me having a blanket. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can find us um, on our Instagram, um, Inwell Studios, I-N-W-I-L-L Studios. Um, we do a lot of stuff on there and a lot of Instagram lives and events and all that jazz. Um, I forgot our Twitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's in Will Studios as well. I'm like 99% sure. I think so as um, well. <laughs> I think so as well. Don't, I don't remember all my Instagram, all the Instagram handles. But yeah, our Instagram is like where we're most active. Um, we also have a TikTok at in Will Studios as well. Um, yeah, you can find all the information on our Instagram. So just like remember our Instagram. <laughs> That's like all we gotta do. Awesome. Um, you can find our website and everything on there. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, another closing some more closing remarks. The research and transcript for this episode, which I super, super, super do advise you to check out. The research is on our website in our podcast section. Our podcast guest form, where you can be a guest like Chris here, is in our podcast section as well. If you want to be on Forever Blooming, as well as our audience spotlight form, where you can ask questions to be featured in one of our episodes. Please email us at management at bloompod.org almost forgot our email <laughs> let us know your thoughts questions comments and concerns um and how we can improve the podcast because we love hearing from you be sure to check out fborg.card.co and that is card with two r's for all of our easy accessible links make sure to like comment subscribe rate us on spotify and share with your friends if you enjoyed this episode and lastly have a great day afternoon or night whenever you're listening to this thanks for tuning in thank you